Yo, what's happening runners? Welcome back to another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running. The highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. My name is Lloyd, I will be your host for today's episode, and I'm absolutely buzzing to be welcoming from down under Stewie McSwain to the show today. On today's show, we will sit down with Stewie and we talk about a whole host of topics, including his early years growing up on a farm on King Island, how he attended boarding school in Ballarat, his journey into athletics and Melbourne Track Club under the watchful eye of Nick Badeau, and of course, more recently, we get the behind-the-scenes scoop on what it really means to be one of the best middle-distance athletes in the world right now. Now, before we get into that interview, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please, please drop us a follow on Instagram, and you can also check out our website at trackster.com. That's where we're putting all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And you can register for our running newsletter so you can keep up to date with all of the running gossip from around the world. Now, finally, if you'd like to support this show and what we're doing, please do leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Stewie McSwain. All right. So, Stewie, how are you going, mate? Good. Thanks for having me on. Nah, welcome, mate. It's um, it's it's good to get you on. Um, it's, I'm surprised we've never never done done this before. You know, we should have done it sooner, eh? Yeah, as I said, excited, mate. Um, it's probably well overdue. So hopefully we can have a good chat and hopefully get a few good questions out. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. I mean, I would have rather done this in Teddington at Mimos, but hey, what can you do? We'll just have to make do until the European summer when we're back hanging out at Mimos. Yeah, mate. You know the drill. Or Gossiers, you like Gossiers, or is that Rambo that likes Gossiers now? Uh, I like it as well, but Rambo's definitely their number one fan. So um, I probably prefer Mimos, but I'll definitely go to both, depending on the company I'm with. <laughs> Love that. We'll chat on. Uh, we'll chat about Teddington and uh, new Aussies coming over in in in, uh, in the chat later on. But I really wanted to um, start. You know, anyone that's listening is probably yeah, that's a track and field fan is going to know who you are, but. For anyone that isn't aware, do you want to introduce yourself in your own words, who you are, what you're most known for? Uh, I'd probably just say, yeah, I'm an Aussie distance runner. Um, I'm not sure what I'm most well known for. Um, but yeah, probably just being being an Aussie on the circuit, I think we kind of stand out a little bit. So that's probably, probably the main thing. Yeah, fair enough, mate. I mean, I'd probably back that up and say that, you know, you have a very fast runner, you know, Aussie records coming out of your pockets and... Uh, also an Olympian. I think that's well worth saying. If you've been to the Olympics, I feel like it's well worth introducing yourself as an Olympian. But we'll get to accolades later on in the conversation. But let's let's go back way back to the start, mate. You know, especially when you're competing in Australia and you've got the Australian streams and the commentators, they always talk about King Island. For those that aren't listening, for those that aren't aware, sorry, explain to us what is King Island, where you started um and that whole part of your life as a you know as a young as a young kid yeah so that's probably one of the most notable things about me i think um so king island's a pretty small small island down the bottom of australia so it's generally just got over 1600 people so it is pretty small there i think it's 32 k's across and about 60 um uh straight up as well so it's a small island but yes i grew up there i still my parents still live there i still call it home so um, even though I'm in on mainland Australia, based in Melbourne, a lot more for training and university. Um, I still, yeah, definitely call King Island home, um, and that's where, obviously, as I said, I grew up. I love that, and I, I read on your Wikipedia page that um, you grew up on a farm. Is that, is that accurate? That's accurate. Yeah, so we grew up on a farm, probably about 
I think just over 1,500 acres. So um, a decent property and an awesome place to grow up. I think that's when I started running on the farm. But being a country kid in Australia, you kind of play all different sports. So it wasn't just running. It was footy, tennis, cricket, golf, whatever. Um, but yeah, amazing place to grow up. And obviously you're surrounded by the ocean as well, which is which is pretty nice. Yeah, mate, that's one thing that I realized when I was over in Australia. Kids, I'd see kids going straight from school to the beach and start surfing at like, you know, 4 p.m. And I just looked at them and thought, those kids don't know how lucky they are that this is their playground. Australia is such a beautiful country for just outdoor, being a kid and just running around and being active, right? A hundred percent. I think you've sold us well. So if anyone's listening hasn't been to Australia, they need to get down here because... Um, especially when you sit in the UK um, winter at the moment, it's not that nice. So if you can get out for Australian summer, it's definitely worthwhile. Yes, mate. Absolutely. Amen to that. And um, when you was growing up on the farm, what was the school situation over there? You know, did you go to a general uh, sort of normal school or was you homeschooled? Yeah. So I went to a normal school. I think the school, there's probably 200 kids. So there's probably, yeah, it went up to year 10 and there was about probably 20 kids in each grade. So um, relatively pretty small. Um, each year generally I had one teacher. So, Nothing crazy like schools um, in mainland Australia or um, as you guys would generally have in the UK. But um, yeah, it was a small school, but an awesome school as well. I think we're lucky that we we kind of had like really good ovals for the size of the school. We had an awesome gym, an awesome swimming pool. So we were um, pretty, pretty lucky in that regard. Oh, you're laughing there. Absolutely. And well, so, you know, growing up in King, King, King Island, you know, loving that as a, as a young lad and t- taking on different sports and, you know, doing, doing, what young kids should do, try and try and everything. At which point did you make the jump to, you know, move over to Melbourne and, and start taking track and field and athletics a little bit more seriously? Yeah, so probably when I was 13, I went to boarding school in Ballarat, which is in about 90 minutes outside Melbourne. So, um, yeah, moved everything, moved away, went to obviously a bigger school. I think the school I went to had 1,200 people. So it was a big jump up from from King the King Island School. Um, so, yeah, I was over there to 7 and 12 um, and slowly – yeah, kind of progressing my running from from year seven. I was kind of playing other sports, probably up until about year year nine, ten. I was kind of doing a mix of sports, and then it probably was when I was in year eleven where I kind of started focusing a bit more on athletics, and it was probably the sport that I was maybe the best at. Um, and then kind of yeah, progressed from there as well. And I was looking, um, I was doing some research on you before this episode. If I'm honest, you, you're probably one of the guests I had to do the least uh, research on, just because like we're already mates, so I know so much already. But I remember when. When I was living in Sydney, I went to, I think it was, it was either Sydney Track Classic or something like that. And uh, you was doing the steeplechase. Now, for those that don't remember, like, mate, you came from a chase background. You know, you, you actually went to the World Champs in 2017 for the steeplechase, right? Where did Correct, that, yeah. So Where did that all come from? Yeah, that was my first senior team making the, the, the World Champs steeplechase in 2017. So... I kind of did junior steeplechase, probably in under-14s, under-16s, um, and I was okay at it. Um, but, yeah, after the 2016 year, I kind of decided that I was going to – thought it was my best chance to make a senior team, so I kind of focused it on 2017, even though relatively wise, I feel like I'm not a good steeplechaser. I'm not a good jumper. I was never good at the water jump, but I kind of saw, saw an opportunity that I could maybe sneak my way onto my first senior team. So that's what I did. Did that the 2017 season, and then after the start of the 2018 season, decided – I need to get better at the flat, flat events because I didn't want to do steeplechase anymore. Oh, I was gonna, that was going to be my next question. At, what, at which point did you... So, so I, I, was, I wasn't sure whether it was a decision where it was a case of, right, I don't want to do the steeplechase or I've actually 
I feel like I'm I'm better at the flat running. Are you saying that it was more of a case of I just don't want to do the chase anymore? Yeah, it was definitely I don't want to do the chase anymore. I hated the jumps. I hated the water jump. Um, yeah, and I just did, didn't enjoy it as much as the other events. I think um, anyone who's done steeplechase probably say it's one of the hardest events out of all the events you can do. Um, so once I had the opportunity to try and focus on other events outside the steeplechase, it was pretty quick. I, I packed up, retired from the steeplechase and moved, to, moved my focus to other events. So let's talk about MTC, Melbourne Track Club, you know, arguably one of the most famous running groups over the past two decades across the world. Is They've always been consistent, you know, um, headed up by by bidders, Nick Badeau. What, uh, w- which year was it that you were officially, you know, welcomed into that group? So it's probably the 2016 season. I was kind of, I had it, my junior coach still. Um, I was trained in 2015. I'd moved down to Melbourne and started university there. Um, but was kind of just jumping in out of groups and sessions. And then, yeah, the end of 2015, I was good mates with Brett Robertson. And he's like, oh, you should come and jump in some sessions. And I was just kind of doing my own thing, jumping in a few workouts. Um, and then started to get pretty fit, jumping in, in and out of sessions. And then Nick was like, oh, you should start, yeah, kind of training with the group. So from that the end of that 2015 season, I kind of started turning up to every session at the start of 2016. And then, yeah, kind of went from there and just slowly progressed and was able to build my training up and, um, yeah, start racing a little bit better off it as well. So does Robbo take any of the credit of your of your achievements that he brought you into the group? Oh, uh, maybe a little bit. He's he's a pretty <laughs> humble guy, so you don't you don't hear too much from him. But um, yeah, I think I was just lucky that we were good mates and he, we enjoyed training together. And he's kind of like, oh, just come down, have a swing, see yeah. see how you go. Um, and then yeah, enjoyed it and then went from there. And ha- talk us through that group dynamic because you know I've seen it firsthand how the camaraderie between you guys. You know, there's a lot of good chat, there's a lot of banter, especially between the guys, but. It's, I also see that there's a nice mix there between the women as well, but how, how does the group dynamic work? Why, why was it, why is it that the group gels so well? Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's like, we, you, we kind of feel like a footy team. It's like, you've got to have members to get on. You've got to enjoy turning up and training with people. You've got to be there for the right reasons. It's not only for you to improve, you're trying to help the guys around is who are some of your best mates improve as well. So you've kind of got to have a team approach. And I think that that works well in any sport, um, especially for running because it's such an individual sport. I think it helps having that team around you. But for us, we're lucky as well. I think a lot of people are surprised when they see our training back in Melbourne. We might have, sometimes we'll have 180 different people turn up to training and just jump in with a, a elite group, which is not often you have that with any elite groups around the world. So I think we're a little bit different in that regard that anyone can come along, anyone can jump in. We're happy to have all different people, all different abilities. Um, as long as they're willing to help out, they're willing to try hard and um, willing to bring something to training, we're happy to have them. So I think that's what's making it enjoyable, especially when we're back in Australia, is jumping in and training with with a lot of guys who you don't get, they don't go overseas and race. They might not get to do the big races, but domestically they just love running. And um, yeah, getting getting to train with them, even if it's only for parts of reps, um, parts of sessions, it's um kind of mixes things up and keeps it fun. Yeah, I think that's not that's not documented that well, you know, that, that the group does sort of allow for anyone to jump in. And you're right in what you say about that's quite a unique setup compared to other elite groups around the world, especially from some of the ones that we see in, in America. And I think that just goes to show the the sheer attitude of, of Australian athletics that ultimately, it's, like you said, come down, have a swing, um, bring something to training and just get stuck in. And I think that's what, MTC really do sort of represent really well. Um, 
in terms of the coach, Nick Badeau, you know, he's been been coach of MTC now for, for a long time, you know, now got Collis as well on board. Um, you know, Bidders is well respected, not just in Athletics Australia, but across the world. I feel like you could read so many articles on Badeau's training and his ideologies, etc. But what is your coaching relationship with Nick? And how has that evolved over time as you've progressed as an athlete? Yeah, I think you, obviously there's a good good respect between athlete and um, coach. I think any good coach and athlete, you need kind of that relationship. Um, but there's, I think that the good thing with Nick is there's always an expectation that he sets a high standard. Um, so you might be thinking you're doing something well, and if you're not doing it that well, you'll you'll hear about it, which which I like. I kind of am always looking for ways to improve, ways to get better. So um, yeah, as I said, I think we've, there's a there's a lot of respect between the coach and athlete, um, and I know if I'm working hard, he's working just as hard on how we can improve, organizing the season, working on what training we should do. He's always trying to think how we can get better. So it kind of helps having a coach where I'm not worrying about what sessions to, I'm turning up to training. I know what session he thinks is going to make me improve. I can talk to him and say, maybe I need to do something else a little bit different or, and we can kind of work out a, a midpoint there. So I think definitely over the last few years, we've kind of worked out for me personally, what, what, what works, what doesn't what we need to change leading into seasons, what, what has worked or whatever. So I think we've built, built a good good structure for how we base the year. Um, and obviously, as I said, we're, we're still trying to improve each year. And he's, he's definitely keen to get better. Um, no matter how good you are, he always thinks you can get better. So I think that's a big positive thing as well. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like if there's one thing I've seen from Nick, it's like the guy never rests. He never stops. He's never, he's never content with, with how fast or how good his group can be. But you mentioned there about... All, Nick's always trying of trying to find ways to you know improve and get you guys you know really peaking as best as possible. In a in a world now in a running world where double threshold is like the 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 the, the keyword that everyone is sort of fussing around because of Jakob and the whole Ingebrigtsen movement. I'm interested to know like have you noticed any changes in the training from MTC over the past few years um, where newer methods are maybe starting to sort of factor into the group. Or is it still a case of, look, this model has worked for so many pro athletes over the years. We're just going to make finer tweaks for each individual. What is it like from your perspective? Yeah, I think when you, it's easy when you, we've got a process that works. It's kind of, you've got a structure, you know what you need to do. And as you mentioned, I think every individual athlete, you've got to tweak it a little bit. Not, not everyone can train the same. Everyone has different strengths that you've got to work on or different weaknesses. You've got to try and improve as well. So I think for us, it's, We've got a process that works. We're trying to adapt it every year to get a little bit better. Um, I don't think we've we've made massive changes because I think it's easy to go, oh, whatever's working for Jakob, why don't we just do that? But obviously it doesn't work for everyone. It's It obviously works well for him, but it doesn't mean it's going to work well for everyone. And he's kind of worked out a process that individually works out for him. So um, I think we've got, we've got that kind of structure. Um, but as I said, we're trying to improve each year. So whether that's how we structure the season, um, whether how long we stay in base training or whether we try and do more high intensity stuff during the middle of the European season or whatever to maintain that sharpness or whatever. I think he's always looking for little things like that. Um, and I think every year we're getting better at kind of understanding what, what we need to do to try and be competitive on the, the world stage, hopefully. You mentioned there about European season. That's maybe one thing that a few of our listeners maybe aren't aware of. Being an Aussie, you're like, you kind of have you kind of have two two track seasons that you need to peak for because you have your champs, which is literally on right now, right? It's literally today. Um, yeah. 
And then you have your European meets, like your Diamond Leagues and your obviously championships later in the season that you have to peak for again. Um, you guys, you Aussies, you know, you base yourself in Europe, you base yourself in Teddington for the European season, you know, really close to Heathrow. It's great access, et cetera. But talk us through the challenge of being an athlete where you have your winter season, but then ultimately as you come into your track season, yes, you want to peak for your for your home champs and, and be in good shape for that because ultimately you don't want to get scalped. But really the main goal is the global stage. Talk us through those challenges and obstacles you face. Yeah, I think it is hard, obviously, um, having to kind of get ready twice in the year, um, especially end of season. If, if you're trying to run a 10K at the end of the year, you've got to be ready in December. So um, for me, I think it's you, you're obviously training hard over this time, like this time of year. You're doing a lot more base work, not really focusing too specific on high intensity kind of race efforts or anything to get ready for races. I think you, you're kind of treating this time of year as the pre-season phase of the season. You can't go this is my grand final. I've got to peak right now. I've got to be ready to go these, these months. Because if you're peaking now, it's going to be hard to turn it around in a couple of months when world champs, Olympics or whatever come ahead. So for us, yeah, I feel like we're we're kind of in the pre, pre-season phase over our domestic season where you're trying to get ready to run well at races. But in the back of your mind, you're always hoping you're, you're at 85, 80%, 90% maybe, um, knowing that you can progress from there and hopefully get to Europe and step it up that 10% by the time the championship comes around. And what, and what is it about when you come over to Europe and you base yourself in Teddington, something that MTC have done for years now, going way, way, way back? Um, you know, it's obviously that's something you must enjoy, correct me if I'm wrong, but what is it that you enjoy about being based there and, and why do you think that's worked so well for you and your group in the past? Yeah, I think obviously the setup's amazing. We've got Bushy, Richmond Park. Um, obviously, London's probably one of the closest cities to Australia as well, so... It does feel like we're at home and we've got a house there. It feels like we've got a, a setup and we kind of have somewhere we can live when we're not jumping around races or whatever. So, um, yeah, I obviously love coming over. I feel like once I get over, that's where I can really switch on and feel like my, my training and, um, yeah, my athletes' performance kind of lifts because I feel like we're in the action. We're close to the races. We're ready to go. It's like racing season officially starts, um, even though we might do some races in the domestic season. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a different vibe when you get over there. Yeah, we're also missing out on the Australian winter, which is nice. Um, so we kind of jump summer to summer, which is always good. And kind of the weather over there is pretty good during the middle of the year as well. So, um, yeah, I love it. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can keep using um, Teddington as our base for many years to come. Yeah, mate, you're always welcome. When is it? When are you planning next to come over? So I'm hoping to, yeah, start my season the start of May in Doha and then following that I'll be over. So probably around May 10th. I should be in um, Teddington Town um, and, yeah, hopefully back in memos by at least the 11th. Oh, love it. Love to hear it. I remember, you know, talking about structure of the group and, you know, how you have to sort of periodize your year slightly different to a lot of other athletes. Um, there was one point in time where a lot of that went out the window because of obviously COVID-19. And I remember that when in Teddington, um, you know, you had athletes like Sinead and Grego and, they were they were set, sort of stuck in the UK because flights back home to Australia were crazy expensive and limited. And then you had the whole quarantine in the hotel situation. Um, want to talk about COVID specifically for you. Now, I know you had a tough time with it. Um, for anyone that's not aware, do you want to talk about how, you know, your experience with COVID and how that may have affected you running at that time in your career? Yeah, so obviously it was pretty, um, made like pretty common knowledge I was kind of battling for it for a couple of months at the start of last year um so I kind of yeah had a bit of um pericarditis around my heart that kind of some inflammation grew so 
yeah, that was um, obviously not a nice period. Those couple of months was kind of a bit of a struggle. Uh, I was put in the work, but I just, yeah, kind of didn't have the energy or I was also struggling breathing as well. So had a few ordinary races to start the season, which is not how you, you kind of want to open, especially in Europe. If you're, if you're running 10 seconds off your best, you're going into any race getting absolutely hammered. So it's not a great feeling, but um, yeah, so I sh- struggled early on, but I was able to turn it around probably, yeah, six weeks out before world champs and kind of, find some form and then kind of roll out the rest of the season from there. So I think last year I was probably most proud with how I was able to turn around the season. Cause I think when you're going well, it's easy to jump race to race, hopefully keep running well. Why when, when you're not going so well, it's pretty hard to turn it around mid season. So I kind of took a lot of confidence from what I was able to do from that midpoint of last year. Um, and hopefully that sets me up for another big, big year ahead. Yeah, for sure, mate. And I, I think, you know, a highlight for most athletes is the Olympics um, you know, it's great watching you out there and, you know, you made the final in 1500 meters. I want to talk about that race specifically because it was crazy fast for an Olympic final. It almost mimicked, um, a lot of the diamond league, uh, Grand Prix that I know you're used to racing, you know, up the front with, with Jakob and Chariot and, and the rest of the clan, but going into that final where you finished seventh in 331, right? Yeah. Um, in such a fast race, especially with the 1500 meters, those margins are so fine between coming seventh and making the podium. What was your thought process going into that race to give yourself the best chance possible? Yeah, I think any race, even if it's Olympic final, I'm going in thinking, yeah, I still thought on the start line, I'm like, if I have a day hit, there's no reason I can't win. Like you're yeah. going in any race, no matter whether it's Jakobin or whoever, I'm thinking if everything comes for my day here, maybe I'm a chance to win. So, uh, yeah, I was just going in, going in. If I give it 100%, the result will take care of itself. Um, obviously, seventh in Olympics, you, you, you go in to try and win medals, you go in to try and win. Um, but I knew on that day, I think I was in third with 350 to go and ran out of legs. So I knew I was right. I put myself right in the mix. But, um, yeah, as I said, I went went in there, ran 110% and walked up the track knowing that um, I gave it my all in the day and I wasn't good enough to walk away with the medal. So, Hopefully we can turn it around for um yeah Paris next year. That that that'd be a nice change up. Yeah, no doubt. I've got full confidence in that, my friend. Um, you know, we've had a great few years, Stewie. You know, since since you know you've sort of you know uh, really elevated yourself and gone from that Australian that's seen in the Diamond Leagues to now being one of the front runners, um, taking Australian records by storm and really propelling yourself at the front of these races. And I think that from a fan perspective we know you as the one that's not afraid to get stuck in and mix it up with those superstar athletes at the front. Um, it's been a nice change, if I'm honest. But from those Australian records, you know, which is which is the one you're most proud of and why? I think uh, probably the first time I broke the 3,000-metre record. I think it was in Rome. Um, it was just a race where I kind of just threw it on the line. Um, I think I took the lead from, yeah, maybe just after 2K, three laps to go. I had obviously Kip Lima, who's an amazing athlete, Jakob sitting on the back of me. I was trying to shake him, I think. With two laps to go, I could, could kind of hear Jakob breathing. I thought I, I was a good chance to shake him. I wasn't sure if it was him or Kip Lima who were breathing. I had a look at the screen and was like, am I a chance to run away with this? Um, but then obviously they closed the last lap pretty well. But to, yeah, to break that, I think I ran 7.28 in that Rome race for third uh, not too far behind Jakob and Kip Lima showed showed that I was at the level. Um, and then, yeah, obviously to break the 7.30 mark to to run that national record is probably one that I was probably hold the most special um, because the way I was able to take on the race and kind of 
yeah, run it, run it how I felt I wanted to run it. So even though breaking a record is nice, I think it was more executing a good race that I remember that that race with pretty good memories. Mate, I remember watching that in uh, in a living room with Vic. Um, oh my god, mate, when you hit the front and that literally that point where you're like, I'm trying to shake Jacob and, and Kip Lemo, I was just going, Vic, Vic, can watch Vic, Vic, he's gonna do it. We <laughs> were going absolutely crazy, and yeah, I think that you know, I think from from my perspective, that was a highlight to watch because 728 is just it is just so fast, isn't it? You know, it's like one of those performances where it's like, that is, that is incredible. So no, full respect on that one, mate. Um, and then, you know, looking ahead, which, which records, which, are there any records out there that you, that you, that you really got your eye on that you, that you really dying to get? Um, yeah, I, I obviously records are nice, as I said, but I, I don't really have a big focus on trying to break them. If I run well in races, Hopefully I can break a couple more. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think I'm just at the point now where once you, I think once you've knocked off at least one, it's obviously a massive highlight breaking your first national record. But after that, you kind of, I'm more focused on trying to do well at championships, making sure I can be competitive on the world stage. That's the big goal. Cause as, as I mentioned, I haven't been able to win an individual medal on the world stage net yet. So that'd be nice to be able to tick that off before my career is done. So um, hopefully I can, yeah, run a few more quick times and see if we can get, get under a couple of records but other than that yeah i'd just be happy to be trying to be competitive in as many races as i can on the the world scene and you spoke there about when your career's done uh you're 27 now right yeah. um where do you foresee your career going in terms of an athletics career are you going to stick with the track for the full time or you at some point you're going to follow rainer and brett and step up to the roads what's is, is that conversation been had yet not really. I think I'm happy with staying uh, staying on the track at the moment. I think one day I'll hopefully go to the roads, be able to run at least one marathon before I'm done and see, see if I, I'm any good at it. Um, but yeah, I think at the moment, I think if you can stay at the shorter distances, you try and stay there as long as you can. And then I'll kind of yeah work up whether that's to start focusing more on the 5k, 10k in years to come rather than the maybe the 15, 3k, 5k. Um, but we'll see, we'll see how we progress from there. Um, I'm happy to see, yeah, keep ticking away and avoid and having to work a real man's job for hopefully a couple more years would be nice. I love that, mate. And away, away from the track, Stewie, you know, what are your other passions in life? I know you're a massive footy fan and you love sport. Um, but yeah, talk to us about, you know, what else, what else have you got going on in your life that you love to do? Yeah. So, um, at the moment I'm trying to tick off my last couple of subjects of a secondary school teacher. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to tick that off. Hopefully I can finish it before Olympic year next year would be nice. Just get that piece of paper and not have to worry about um about studying um for the, the Paris cycle. Um and then yeah, I just have that in my back pocket whenever ever running's finished. Hopefully I'll have a job there and I can kind of get a yeah, get a teaching job when whenever running's finished. So that's probably my other big thing I I try and focus outside running doing. But yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a massive sports fan. So especially back in Australia with Aussie Rules football, I'll try and get down to support my team um, every weekend I can, um, which is, yeah, the equivalent of you guys loving soccer over there. For us, AFL is massive here. So I'm trying to show up and, yeah, support my team every week. If, I, if I'm if i here in Australia and I'm able to get down and watch them. Yeah, mate, nothing nothing beats a meat pie at halftime. Absolutely love that. Um, <laughs> exactly right. We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to get a football game in uh, when you come over this summer. We'll try and get some tickets from Nike, uh, see what we can do. Um, who's, your te- who's your team over here? So I was originally a Fulham guy, but then I kind of, once I got relegated, I ju- jumped across to the Chelsea bandwagon, but now I'm thinking of getting back on the Fulham bandwagon. So I'm unsure. Um, based on how Fulham went this year, I'm thinking of getting back on. I pre- kind of prefer the niche, like the smaller clubs, 
because not as many people go for them as well. So I think a lot of it comes down to whether they're a Nike team as well, so you can actually get the Guernseys. So, yeah, um, yeah. I think I'm not sure whether I'll um, stay with Chelsea. Oh, yeah, I'll move back to Fulham this year. Well, I guess we'll see how they go. See how we go, mate. See how we go. All right, cool. So, Stewie, it's been a great conversation, mate. We're going to wrap things up with what we do for all of our guests. We're going to fire some quick-fire questions at you. Um, don't overthink it. Just give us the first thing that comes into your mind. Um, all right. So number one, if you had a magic wand, what's one thing that you'd change in athletics? Um, I think, uh, probably make it more of like a party event. We've seen what they've done with the darts and stuff. Um, I think if you put in a good spectacle, um, you bring it, bring a good product There's an atmosphere there, people will come. So I think we can do that with a lot more athletics events. Yeah, for sure. I think we're seeing it with the IPL cricket, uh, even even golf to us uh, with the series on Netflix and Drive to Survive, etc. I think that yeah, there's there's such an opportunity there for us to create more of a party atmosphere, and especially from my perspective, I'm well up for a party all the time. So yeah, I'm I'm going yeah. for that. Um, <laughs> what's the best thing about being a professional athlete? I think the places you get to go and the people you meet. Um, I think if I if I didn't run, the amount of people I who I'm really good friends with now, or um, yeah, I've got to meet would be way less than what it is right now, and. Also, the amount of countries you get to go to. I don't think if I had went to uni and just been a school teacher, I don't reckon I would have went to countries like Monaco, Oslo, wherever. So I think that that's probably the, the other big thing as well, that you get to adventure to so many countries you probably wouldn't get to otherwise. Yeah, mate. You just get the jet-setting lifestyle. I, I hear that. And what's the what's the worst thing about being a pro athlete? Probably the sacrifices you have to make. I think especially in uh, when I'm back in Australia, it's like, you can't always go out with your mates if they want to go drinking. If you've got trips away, you've got boys trips, whatever, you kind of have to miss out on some of those things. You can't, if, if there's like, yeah, big events, you can't just skip training for the day and then skip them to go, yeah, go on the drink, go to the horse racing, go to sporting events all the time. You've kind of got to sacrifice some of the social events um, to focus on your running. So I think that's probably one of the hardest things. But if you're running well, I think it's easier to do than maybe if you're not going so well. Yeah, absolutely. Risk over reward makes sense, mate. Makes sense. Um, okay, what's uh, a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear? Uh, I think that uh, probably a big one is that I always think hard work beats talent. I think a lot of people think that you got to be super talented or you got to be, yeah, an unbelievable junior to end up being a good open athlete. But I think a lot of the time, if you've, you've, you've got the resilience, you're willing to work hard that you can actually, um, yeah, you can, you can be a great athlete no matter how good a junior you were. So I think a lot of people, yeah, worry too much about talent and not about putting in the work and kind of working out a structure that works to hopefully bring their best performances out. That's great advice, Drew. I think our listeners will really appreciate that one. And final one, mate, is what can we expect from Drew McSwain in 2023? Uh, I think more the same. I'm hoping to get over there, take, take on some races, try and run quick and hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully I can have a, have a big season, enjoy it, have a great, great time over in the UK basin in London, um, and then just try and make races exciting. I think I, I kind of like trying to get to the front of my races if I can. So hopefully if I can take them on and make the races a little bit faster, a little bit fun, I hope I can do that again. Um, and yeah, see, see what happens. Mate, it's been a pleasure, Stewie. Thanks so much for coming on the pod today, mate. And I'll, uh, I'll catch you for a coffee and memos in a few months' time. Lock it in. Thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate. See you around. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things running. 
the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Also, thank you to our guest, Stewie McSwain, for his time on the show today. And if you've enjoyed today's listen, please do leave us a review and head over to our Instagram, at Trackster, to keep up to date with everything that we're up to. Now, you won't have to wait much longer for next week's episode, where we have a banger in store for you. We are sitting down and talking all things running with Tin Man Elite athlete, Joey Berriatua. I've been Lloyd, your host for today. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a great week, runners.